This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Thank you for shining on today. It's Casey. I recently had a huge Shazam from the author Gary John Bishop. A Shazam for me is like a really big aha. Gary John Bishop is a gritty author and motivator, and he uttered one little sentence, and it was like he handed me a new pair of glasses, and I could see everything differently. That life-changing sentence is coming up in a little bit. First, we're going to talk to a true genius, for real. Robert M. Sapolsky is a professor of biology and neurology at Stanford University and the recipient of a MacArthur Foundation Genius Grant. His latest 700-page book is called Behave, The Biology of Humans at Our Best and at Our Worst. Fascinating, and much of it beyond me, but I felt safe enough asking about our frontal cortex. It's the most interesting part of the brain. It's the most recently evolved. We've got more of it than any other species out there. It's the last part of the brain that fully matures. It's not completely online, amazingly, until we're about 25 years old. And basically, what the frontal cortex does is it makes us do the harder thing when it's the right thing to do. It does gratification, postponement, and long-term planning, and impulse control and all of those things that are just so definedly human. And it's totally fascinating what it's got to do with our behavior. And it's not fully formed till we're 25, so we should not let our children out of the house. Basically, it's it's the, the scientific explanation for why juveniles act in juvenile ways. They've got brains that are going full blast in most regards, um, except they've got a frontal cortex that's just half-baked at that point. So that's all the adolescent novelty seeking and problems with impulsiveness and like over sensitivity to peer influence and all that recklessness and all that stuff that all of us somehow manage to survive. And also tell us what we need to know about mirror neurons. Well, that's a cranky, contentious issue in the field. Mirror neurons, what they've been shown to do is activate in a part of your brain having to do with motor commands, commands to your muscles, where you are matching the movement of somebody else, where it's got something to do with observational learning, mimicry, things of that part. And they've been around for a few decades, and the first instant they got discovered, everybody immediately said, oh my God, this must be what empathy is about also. Mirror neurons must be the way our brain feels someone else's pain. And a really appealing idea, but, you know, the evidence has been far from uh, supportive of that, um, which is disappointing. Um, Nonetheless, we are still capable of empathy, even if those are not the neurons doing it for us. But mirror neurons, in a lot of ways, have had a whole lot more hype uh, than sort of the actual science backing them up. Oh, wow. Wow, that's disappointing a little bit. 
it's a little bit. We're we're just going to have to use different neurons than those if we're going to be like feel somebody else's pain. We are talking to Robert M. Sapolsky. The book is Behave: The Biology of Humans at Our Best and at Our Worst. It's beyond fascinating. This is a decade worth of work, and what a great education! Explain to us, please, on page four eighty one, what social Social intuitionism? Social intuitionism. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Explain uh-huh. to us, please, what social intuitionism is. We've got brains. Our, our primate brains have evolved to be good at all sorts of things. We can do certain logical processes. We can figure out that A plus B is the same thing as B plus A. We can do all sorts of interesting sensory stuff. But what our primate brains are mostly good at is social relations. We're incredibly attuned to stuff like that. We've got a part of the brain called the fuse form that is specialized just for recognizing faces. Uh, the more complex our social groups are, the bigger our social groups, uh, the bigger our frontal cortex turns out to be, the larger, I mean, basically on a certain level across primates, the frontal cortex has co-evolved with our ability to like keep track of gossip about lots of other individuals in our group. We can do like logical things about social relations that we can't do about the physical world. Our brains are so, so attuned to social interactions, and it's pretty straightforward. That's what primates are about. Uh, Social relations, and isn't Mark Zuckerberg pleased that we work that way? Is our brain changing at all? Are we still evolving? Um, Absolutely, for better or worse. Um, Evolution not only is alive and well, but is very much an ongoing process. All we have to do is look at all those bacteria evolving to potentially do us in because they're antibiotic resistant. In terms of brains changing, though, probably the most interesting level is not an evolutionary time scale, but people recognizing that there's not a whole lot about our brains that are set in stone. This whole trendy field of neural plasticity. Depending on your experiences, for better or worse, our brains grow new connections, old ones shrivel up and disappear. Some parts of the brain get bigger, some get smaller. Our brains respond to experience. And, you know, amid that being like a hugely exciting topic and yay, brains change, again, sometimes that could be better or worse and neural plasticity uh, could make us much better at being saints. On the other hand, neuroplasticity could underlie somebody getting much more efficient at ethnically cleansing villages. That's Robert M. Sapolsky. His book is Behave. He teaches at Stanford and lives in San Francisco with his wife and dogs. He has a Facebook fan page, too. Now, if you would like to possibly win a copy of this enormous book, send me an email with your address from the website kacey.co. That's where you can get details about the Women's Retreat Weekend I'm hosting this summer, too. Coming up, what you can do today to get brilliant. That's next. Reiki is the world's most popular form of energy healing. Now you have an opportunity to study Reiki from one of the world's leading Reiki masters. Brett Bevel is an internationally published author and works with some of Hollywood's elite, endorsed by Kariana Nama from Dancing with the Stars. Reiki master Brett Bevel is offering a first and second degree Reiki training the weekend of June 29th through July 1st at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck. And if you already have Reiki training, Brett and several leading Reiki 
authors are offering the Power of Reiki Conference at Omega Institute, June 1st through 3rd. There you can learn new techniques to deepen your Reiki practice. Learn more about Brett at brettbevel.com and learn more about these transformational Reiki workshops at eomega.org. That's the Power of Reiki Conference, June 1st through 3rd, and the Reiki Training Weekend, June 29th through July 1st. Find more at brettbevel.com. That's brettbevel.com. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for shining on today. We're looking at life in a fresh new way, and that's just what Arjuna Arda is doing with his book, Radical Brilliance. His work explains in an interesting way how you can look at the life cycle of creativity. And he says he didn't choose to write this book. It was kind of given to him. How? Truthfully, I had a car accident about almost exactly two years ago. I had a very serious car accident, like a, a full-on collision at 65 miles an hour. The car that I was driving was, driving was just reduced to crumpled metal. But for some illogical reason that I cannot explain, I escaped unscathed. I had no broken bones. There was some blood, but no broken bones. And although there was, um, although I was fine and the other people were fine and everything, it actually was an incredibly deep shock to the system. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've never really had that before. You know, they call that post-traumatic stress. But really, I was rendered useless for several months. I just lay in my bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was in a dark room. I was just completely shocked. And it was during that time of involuntary withdrawal from the world and busyness that this understanding came of what it is that causes new, fresh understanding and ideas to arise in people. Hmm. You are not the first guest we've had on this show who has had a breakthrough or an insight after a traumatic experience. It's, it's amazing yeah. what, the, what the mind and spirit can do, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, I think the reason for that is that we, we often, um, we end up in automatic, you know, our lives, our lives go into automatic pilot so easily. And when you're in automatic, nothing fresh or new is going to happen. We just become conformist. We buy what we've been taught to buy. We believe what we've been told to believe. We become automatons. So it takes a big shock to the system, whether it's an illness or the death of somebody or, or a car accident, it takes a shock to the system to wake us up to why we're really here on the planet. When we are in automatic, nothing new or fresh can happen to us. Of course, it makes perfect sense when you say it. It makes perfect <laughs> sense when you say it. All right, so now, radical brilliance. Mm. Where shall we start being brilliant radically in our lives? Well, that's a good, good question. You know, um, the, what really emerged in this book is that brilliance, I, I did 420 interviews to, to research this book, and brilliance is really the result of four very different components coming together. And these are four components that are actually opposed to each other in their values, which means it's quite unusual for a human being to embrace all four of these components in the same life. So maybe I could describe those four components to you, and that will, it's really, you're asking where do we begin? Right. You begin when, when these four things become active together. So you can imagine it's like a clock, you know, with 12 at the top, three on the right, six on the bottom, and nine on the left. Mm -hmm. So at 12 o'clock is what we could call moments of awakening. And that means any kind of a moment where you go beyond your mind and recognize the nature of consciousness itself. So of course, that happens to people sometimes in meditation or spirituality, but equally it can happen during sex, it can happen in extreme sports, 
It can happen in all kinds of ways. That we have moments where you you just get out of yourself and you recognize something much bigger than the mind. So that would be 12 o'clock. So the first movement then is from 12 to 3. And that is the movement from this kind of spaciousness Mm -hmm. of, of, of feeling free. And now where creative impulses start to arise. So this is really the birth of creative impulse, where, where little tremors in consciousness become more and become stronger and more vibrant until they become music or writing or innovation or invention or, or, or um, social or political action or anything. So three o'clock is the, is the phase in the cycle of full-on creative flow, where you're taken over by something bigger than your own mind. And, and it's flowing through you. Now, the next phase from three to six is where things become tangible and real. So that's the movement from flow to accomplishment. That's where things get done. And that requires us to operate within boundaries, which is very different from what we described at 12 o'clock. So six o'clock is about budgets and agreements and contracts and deadlines. It's where you have to operate within the constraints of the physical world. And of course, People who are really good at 12 o'clock, people who like to meditate and be very spacious and free, or even people who are good at 3 o'clock who are very creative, they generally don't do very well at 6 o'clock, which is what what I was saying about these have opposing values. Now, the next phase from 6 to 9 is actually because when you hang out very long at 6 in this place of boundaries, you have to make choices and decisions, and you are personally responsible for those choices and decisions. So if you spend much time in the realm of accomplishment, sooner or later, whether you like it or not, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things that you regret. Mm. So six o'clock, just after six, is the place of regret, shame, remorse, failure. And these are healthy emotions if you can have them just briefly because they lead you from six to nine, which is the journey from regret to self-forgiveness and learning. So it's at nine o'clock that we have full learning. We can learn from our mistakes, learn to do things better next time, and have humility and fully realize the limits of our humanity. Finally, the journey from nine to 12 is back into awakening. When you're fully immersed in humility at nine o'clock, you're fully immersed in humility, you naturally get curious about something bigger than your mind. At nine right. o'clock, you realize I'm very small. I don't really understand very much. I'm just a little, a little monkey on the rock, you know? And then you can actually become curious about something bigger than your mind, which brings us back into 12. Again. Wow. So we go from awakening to creativity to action mm. to mm. learning and back to mm. awakening. Brilliant. Right. What a brilliant mm. way to break things down. All right. Mm. So now let's look at um, something that, that jumped out off the page for me. Uh, we talk mm. about brilliant relationships, brilliant friendships. What can you tell us mm-hmm. about those? Well, you know, friendships can be many things. Friendships can be a way to alleviate loneliness. Friendship can be a way to um, have fun. But one particular use of friendship, one particular expression of friendship is to bring out brilliance in each other. And the book describes very specific ways that you can be with your friends to enhance each other's brilliance by asking the right questions, by finding this perfect balance of support, curiosity, and criticism, uh, all of which play a part in bringing brilliance out in another person. I also, in the book, I give a formula for a brilliant dinner party where you get together with your friends, you have some dinner together, but the the purpose of the evening is that you can enhance each other's brilliance. Ah, that's a beautiful dinner party. 
<laughs> it's funny that you should say that. I've pulled away from my dinner group because uh, mm. when you go out to dinner with a with a large group of people, the small talk is maddening. It's all small yeah. talk. So how would I have a brilliant dinner party? Well, you know, a little bit of structure helps, which means that you um, you have your food together. A little bit of wine is helpful because it kind of, you know, it uh, lubricates the uh, flow of conversation. And then it's probably a good idea to do something a little bit structured. So perhaps each person gets a few minutes to express something that they're passionate about and they're working on. And then the other people there can together, collectively, can offer support, which means great idea, I love it, or curiosity, tell me more about that, I didn't completely understand, or criticism, have you really thought this through, how is that going to work, I don't get that, that doesn't, so those, those three things together, when, when a group of people can together bring this balance of support, curiosity, and criticism, it tends to enhance the brilliance of the speaker. Support, curiosity, and criticism, wonderful. What were you doing before you had the car accident? I was running a coaching school, you know, um, you know, like uh, life coaching, executive coaching, business coaching. So I trained more than 2,000 coaches over 25 years. Wow. And so, but that came to an end, you know, that was just, there was a point where that completed itself. And now, now there's this. Now there's Radical this. brilliance. It's a wonderful thought that we can share today that while we're on automatic pilot, nothing new and fresh is going to come into our world. So interrupt mm. your day with, with radical brilliance by Arjuna mm. Arda. What is one thing we can all do right now today to get us closer to radical brilliance? Well, you know, I think if you had to adopt one practice, it would be sitting, just spending time where you sit doing nothing. It sounds, you know, like nothing, but it's actually, I found it's the most powerful practice anyone can integrate into their lives, to sit quietly and simply observe. When you sit and observe, what you're observing is the kind of buzzing of automation. And as you observe it, it naturally calms and becomes more quiet on its own. And you become more aware of something deeper, which we could call consciousness or presence or spaciousness. So just spending some time each day sitting, doing nothing, actually, ironically, is the most powerful enhancement of brilliance. Radical Brilliance is the book from Arjuna Arda. Sit and get brilliant today. And let me know if you want a copy of his book via the contact page at kacey.co, K-A-C-E-Y.co. So I had a huge Shazam moment when I read a book by Gary John Bishop. Oddly, I cannot repeat the title of the book on the radio, but the subtitle is Get Out of Your Head and Into Your Life. Gary John Bishop calls himself an urban philosopher, born in Scotland, lives in Florida now, and he turned my life around with this thought. You are winning at the game you are playing. You're winning at the game you are playing. Maybe your game is called, I'm kind of miserable most of the time. (laughs) The thing is, when you change your actions, the name of the game automatically changes too. You win at the game you play. All right, so the first thing you got to embrace is the notion that you are currently winning. The problem is... You're winning at a game that you don't even want to play. So there are people listening right now. They're winning at the game of not having the body they want. They're winning at the game of not having the money they want. They're winning at the game of having a, you know, crappy or cruddy, you know, relationship or job or career or business. Your life is always going in the direction you're pointing. Nothing, none of that stuff is happening to you. It's the other way around. You are happening to your own life. 
And at some point, you need to get, yeah, I'm winning at having no money. How am I doing that? Well, I work this job and I spend that money, and that's the game I'm playing, and I'm currently winning at that game. Oh, my God, that's so true. Right. And then it's like, well, the, the current state of my body, if I'm unhappy with the shape or the, you know, my fitness or my health, I'll see that I'm doing certain things actions that i'm taking that the result of those actions is the body that i have i am winning at the body that i have but if you said well i want a different body or i want a different set of finances or i want a different relationship or i want a different career you'd actually have to start to get your attention on what it takes to win that game you know, what does it take what is it how would i win at having the body i want well first things first i might not eat that thing or that thing or i might get out of bed an hour earlier and go to the gym or you know anyone or a number of things but I would start to get myself organized around how to shift what I'm winning at. Because you're always winning at something. Yeah. The question is, what is the game you're playing? Oh, brilliant. That is such an eye-opener. You are absolutely killing it. You're, you're, you're oh. just, you know, at the very top of your game at whatever game you're playing. This is what you got. You're doing perfectly. Mm-hmm. You want a different That's outcome? Right. Play a different game. Isn't at the basis of this, maybe it's not, but I'll ask you, I feel at the basis of everything, is it self-love? I think you could go down that pathway, right? I, I think a lot of people tend to struggle to identify with this thing called self-love, okay? You know, you kind of struggle with it. I think what, what I would say, it's a little bit more like self-accept. Self-accept, like, self-accept, okay. Right, it's more like, hey, I mean, you know, I do this, I do that, I am this way, I am that way. I'm not even going to try and make that any better. I'm not going to try and change the way that I am. I'm going to let the way that I am be the way that it is. And then when I look out and in my life, I say, but okay, what's all the other ways I could now be? So it's accepting what's there without trying to shift there. There's a pretty famous American Buckminster Fuller. I'm not going to paraphrase here, and I'll probably ruin it, but what the heck. And he said, you know, this, don't try to change the existing model, build a new one. Oh. Stop struggling with the existing you. Express a new you. Say new things. Act in new ways. Build a new you. And the more actions you take and the more conversations you have that are representative of a new you, the kind of old you or the existing you, as I'd like to call it, its significance, its importance diminishes day by day. Like you actually start to express a different kind of you. You don't have to fix you. There's nothing wrong with you. But given that that you exists there right, with all your characteristics, what else now? Who else could you be in this life? And what would it look like for you to step into your life as a new kind of you? And what would you be doing? Not would you, not would, would you be thinking, not of your emotional states, none of that. We don't need to change that. We actually need to look at like, what would the actions you'd be taking? And it's, you know, it kind of leans back into stoic philosophy, but it's like to be is to do. So when you do, your emotional states start to get in a dance with whatever it is you're doing. Right. When you do, your emotional state starts to get in aligned with whatever it is you're doing. All right. You, right. You, it couldn't be simpler. Gary John Bishop, wake up. You're a bleeping miracle of being. I couldn't That's agree right. with you more. Do you have a website to support this wonderful work of art? I do. It's uh, my, my website is garyjohnbishop.com. I've got a blog there. You can find me on Facebook. I think I've got about a quarter of a million followers on there. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at Gary John Bishop. Um, I'm very active on social media, interacting with people. 
And, you know, if you sign up at my website, you get freebies. So I'll send you, like, a weekly, uh, sorry, monthly newsletter. You'll get a monthly uh, video of me discussing an important topic like anger or marriage or relationships or whatever. And uh, so I like to I like to give people uh, free things. I like giving stuff or nothing. I don't ask you to buy anything. You know, I really feel as if the kind of work that I do, I get paid plenty for doing what I do. I really feel as if the kind of work that I do belongs to people. So I like to give as much of it away for free as I can. And you all know how I feel about giving things away for free to me. That is the hallmark of somebody who really wants to help people. Gary John Bishop. Again, I cannot say the title of his book on the radio. Casey.co has more. But I can say what he says. You win at the game you play. Change your actions regardless of how you feel. You don't even have to be happy about it. You don't need positive thoughts or anything. You just need to do things differently. And when you do things differently, your game changes. That was the big Shazam for me. I can't send you his book. I've underlined too many things in it. So thank you for shining on today. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast on iTunes, and find more at kacey.co. Our thought for the day is another from Buckminster Fuller, who also said, When I am working on a problem, I never think about beauty. But when I have finished, if the solution is not beautiful, I know it's wrong. Shazam and shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260 and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.